I am Sarah Seidner, and this is CNN Tonight. The big question tonight, what exactly was the FBI looking for when it executed a search warrant at former President Trump's Florida home? Why was it so important? There's still a lot that we do not know, but we are getting more information. Here's what CNN is learning from someone familiar with the matter. The search of Mar-a-Lago came after federal authorities believed Trump or his team had not actually returned all of the documents and materials that belonged to the government. You'll remember that they handed over 15 boxes of material earlier this year, but now a lawyer for Trump tells the Washington Post that they took 12 more boxes from a basement storage area of Trump's home. Two other important points from CNN sources. One, authorities believe the documents at Mar-a-Lago had national security implications. And two, there is also suspicion that after months of discussions about this, the Trump's team wasn't being completely honest with investigators. Meanwhile, the Justice Department isn't saying a thing more than 24 hours after this extraordinary step as Trump's supporters rally behind him tonight. We love you, Donna! Yes! Yes! I love you! I love you! I love you! You hear the response from those who are his supporters, and there the former president is, arriving back at Trump Tower in Manhattan just a few minutes ago. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, some in the GOP are calling for Attorney General Merrick Garland to resign or be impeached. Others, like Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Trump's former Vice President Mike Pence, are calling for much greater transparency, and they want it right now. Here's what Pence said on Twitter. Yesterday's actions undermines public confidence in our system of justice, and Attorney General Garland must give a full accounting to the American people as to why this action was taken, and he must do so immediately. Now, should Garland come forward to explain why the FBI went in to help eliminate any perception that Trump is being politically persecuted, as he claims? Keep in mind, it wasn't so long ago that the ex-president had a lot of positive things to say about the current attorney general. I have to say this, Judge Garland is highly respected. I have a lot of respect for him. I do, I have a lot of respect for him. A lot of respect for Garland, that was September of 2020. And now, accusations that the justice system has been weaponized. What changed? Well, we sort of know, don't we? And this isn't the only movement from the FBI. Republican Congressman Scott Perry says that the Bureau seized his cell phone today. It is not clear what prompted that seizure, but Perry is closely linked to former DOJ official Jeffrey Clark. Clark's the one who wanted to be installed as the acting AG to help overturn the election. Perry also communicated with Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, about those efforts. So where might all this lead next? We have two guests with us who can provide important perspective. Peter Strzok is a former FBI counterintelligence official who played a central role in both the Hillary Clinton email and Trump-Russia investigations. He's the author of Compromised, Counterintelligence and the Threat of Donald J. Trump. Also with us, former Trump White House press secretary Stephanie Grisham, who says she herself saw Donald Trump mishandle documents. She saw that with her own eyes. Peter, let's start with you. What kind of evidence would the FBI need to believe is there in order to take this extraordinary step and go into a former president's home and take out items with, of course, a search warrant? 
Well, first of all, it is extraordinary. This is the first time in the history of the FBI that uh, any FBI agent has gotten a warrant issued by a judge and gone into a former president's residence and searched for information. Now, the standard to get a search warrant is that something that a judge, not anybody within the executive branch, that the ex uh, prosecutor and agents have to go to a judge and lay out in an affidavit facts supporting probable cause to believe that there's evidence of a crime at the place to be searched at that moment. So one, it has to relate to something that is criminal. And two, it can't be something that was there three years ago or some long time ago. There has to be a problem cause to believe it's there right now. So what that tells me, and particularly when we're hearing sources coming out saying that people are concerned about the national security implications of what have might have been there, and certainly coupled with what we know about prior information about materials that Trump eventually turned over from Mar-a-Lago to the archives, I have a strong suspicion that the material that was recovered recently by the FBI is quite likely classified information. And that's important because, of course, there are many, there are several federal criminal laws which prohibit unauthorized personnel from maintaining classified information. So my best thought is that the material that the FBI seized yesterday is likely to be classified information, is quite possibly highly sensitive, highly, highly classified information. And what I'm curious about right now is a couple of things that you pointed out. One, how there seems to be the suspicion that people knew that Trump and his attorneys were not being forthcoming. How is it that they knew that? Did they see something when they were there meeting at Mar-a-Lago? Is there somebody on the inside at Mar-a-Lago that told them that there were things that Trump and his attorneys were denying? Does the archives have some sort of list or somebody in the intelligence community have a list of things that they know weren't turned in? But these are all questions. Certainly DOJ knows that right now. The FBI knows that right now. And we're really looking from the outside, just trying to make a best guess about what that might be. Can I ask you something, though? You talked about something being highly sensitive um, and potentially uh, a, a, a breach of, um, you know, intelligence. Why, when the FBI investigators were there talking to Donald Trump's attorneys, as we have learned, would they leave it there? For weeks before they went back in, what would have prompted them to say, you know what, we're going to walk away from this and then we'll be back weeks later? Well, you know, that's a huge question because none of this should come as a surprise, the fact that there was federal interest in this material. Because, you know, again, going back to last year, the middle of last year is when the National Archives first reached out, according to media reporting, to Mar-a-Lago, to the former president's uh, attorneys and others, and said, hey, you know, we think there's material here that you may have. And in fact, that produced early this year, that first uh, batch, I think, of 15 or so boxes, which, according to what they told Congress, contained highly classified information. And from there, we see this sort of slow dance where they believe that there's classified information there. They engage with the executive branch to do a classification review. It appears they determine that there is, in fact, classified material there because the executive branch issues a subpoena to the archives to get that material in the April timeframe of this year. And so then in June, we have CNN broke, I think, this reporting that a group of prosecutors and investigators go down to Mar-a-Lago and they're having a discussion in early June where they see this room in the basement and what's in there concerns them so much that they five days later send a letter saying, secure that room. And according to reporting, a lock, a padlock is put on the door. But there is, you know, so none of this is a surprise. If you're Trump and you want to destroy it, you've had over a year to do it. DOJ has to, of course, move, you know, very cautiously in part because you are dealing with the former president of the United States. He hasn't to this at this moment destroyed it. So it stands to reason he it may stay there and you can secure it. 
And then it's absolutely important, and what we've heard Attorney General Garland say time and time again, is that we absolutely, as a nation, absolutely DOJ has to get it right. So when you're dealing with somebody at the level of the president, former president, who has never been subject to a search warrant before in the history of our nation, that, I think, accounts for some of the deliberate pace that you see from the Department of Justice in this instance. Stephanie, I want to go to you now because you um, have lived in President, former President Trump's orbit. Um, you have seen things that we cannot see. Can you give me an example of something that you have seen happen uh, that concerned you when it came to the president at the time and potentially sensitive documents? Well, I mean, there were many public instances that I can talk about. I don't want to go into some things just because I don't want to you know, talk about a lot of national security issues, but there are many public things that he did uh, while we were in office that, you know, it was it was reported upon and it happened over and over. One would be obviously when um, former Prime Minister Abe came to Mar-a-Lago, which is the irony of that. Um, and Kim Jong-un in North Korea was testing missiles. Uh, President Trump and Prime Minister Abe were at dinner in the middle of Mar-a-Lago with a bunch of members. And you know, all of a sudden they're getting briefed at the table. Members are taking photos. There's sensitive information, um, papers that are being shown to both uh, Prime Minister Abe and former President Trump. And the members are taking pictures and putting that on social media. That's that's the first one. Another one that I was present for was a trip to the border. And the former president started talking to the press pool who had assembled about some of the technological advances and some of the new things gadgets, I'll use that word, that we had at the border, and somebody had to actually step in and say, uh, Mr. President, you shouldn't be talking about those items. And finally, another one that I was actually present for was when uh, the former president did the announcement about killing um, al-Baghdadi and the raid there. And he, as he usually did, went off script, and he actually talked about some highly classified information and some tactically sensitive things that had a lot of our military leaders very... Uh, worried and upset. So those are some public things that he did. I've talked about this before. Um, I sat behind him in a plane one time where he had a bunch of documents he was going through and I was bored. None of us could have phones on that particular flight. So I was just watching him and he was going through a big pile of documents. Some things he would tear up, some things he would throw away, some things he would tear up and put in his pocket, and some things he would fold up and put in his pocket. And at that time, I didn't know what was there. I don't know that it was classified. I don't know what those things were. But I do recall thinking, you know, I'm wondering about his filing system, like what made him tear something up and throw it on the floor versus putting it uh, in his jacket. So those are some of the things I've seen. We were a we didn't have a real culture of compliance, I would say, at our White House. We were certainly given trainings every year. But when you saw somebody at the very top level who was the president of the United States doing a lot of what he was doing, I think a lot of people, not all, I want to be clear about that, uh, felt that those kind of rules didn't apply. And it sounds like the president himself didn't think those rules applied from what you are describing. Peter and Stephanie, we're just scratching the surface here. We want you to stick around because we have a lot more to ask you about your experiences uh, and also about what is an extraordinary time in the history of America and the presidency. We'll be right back. Thanks for hanging with us. We are back with Peter Strzok and Stephanie Grisham. 
As we learn new details of the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago, Peter, I want you to listen to what the ranking member of the House intelligence community uh, says about this investigation as compared to the Hillary Clinton email investigation. There are two different things. When Hillary Clinton, while she was secretary of state, had classified material about her classified communications traveling through her computer server in her house, putting it at risk for any counterintelligence or any uh, others who are, are hacking into her materials. In this instance, we don't really know that these informations are classified. The archive is saying that something is labeled classified doesn't mean that it is. We have to look at the substance of what the president has. These aren't ongoing communications of the United States. Also, the president of the United States, unlike Hillary Clinton, has ability to declassify those materials. Okay, so two points were made there. I'd like you to respond to both of them. Let's start with the one at the end. He says, well, the president has the ability to declassify. Does he have the ability to declassify his materials after they've been taken from his home? Uh, He certainly doesn't have the ability to declassify once he is no longer the president. I mean, presidents do not have what you formally think of as a security clearance. By virtue of the position of the presidency, they both can classify and declassify at will. Uh, The Trump administration encountered some troubles in that regard because Trump would frequently flippantly tweet or make statements that he was going to declassify something, leading people to file a lawsuit to get that presumed declassified material, only to have DOJ and White House try and walk that back and say, well, it was never written down that it was declassified, so therefore that was just his bluster. So there is a little bit of an argument that, you know, Trump saying something is declassified may or may not carry the day. So I don't know that it follows that the material at Mar-a-Lago, I assume and presume it is classified, certainly the material that the initial batch of material that the National Archives had, that they said it was so classified they couldn't even tell Congress, they couldn't even provide them a table of contents because that's how sensitive the material is. So I significantly doubt that, what are we up to now, 27, 30 boxes of material that Trump deliberately went through and declassified all of that. So I don't, I don't give that much weight. As to his first point, you know, keep in mind, yes, Hillary Clinton was investigated, but it took the FBI over a year to get from the initial allegations to a full understanding of what the material was, whether or not it was classified, why that happened, and whether or not there's any criminal culpability here. We are a day removed from the search. The FBI at this point is probably still working with a filter team just to make sure that no privileged communications are not inadvertently given to the investigators. So there is a road ahead that it's going to take some time. Like Congress is going to play games. They do it on both sides. That's the nature of their political business. But what is different this time in my mind, during the Hillary Clinton investigation, you did not have members of the Democratic Party trying and their supporters trying to do the sort of enraging the mob sort of statements that we saw out of a lot of right wing pundits and political figures. It wasn't just a protest that we're going to call Merrick Garland to Congress. It was talking about another civil war. It was talking about taking up violence. And that's the sort of dangerous rhetoric that, again, we've seen it once on January 6th. But before that, that just isn't the sort of behavior that we've seen from political figures. Stephanie, I want to bring you in here. What what are people saying um, in that sphere? I know you have left sort of the Trump world uh, in some ways. But what do you make of what is being said? Uh, the things that have been published on some of the, the right-wing uh, rhetoric and publications out there is... This is war. We have seen that one. We have seen that one multiple times. 
What do you make of this? And nothing happens in a vacuum. So as much as this is a uh, a legal issue uh, for the president, it's also been turned very much into a talking point, uh, way to fundraise and a political issue. What are you seeing? Absolutely. You're right on all points. I'll, I'll start with the rhetoric. You know, I think some of it was to be expected, especially from some of the very far right leaning social media sites, websites, et cetera. What has concerned me is the fact that you know, the Republican Party leadership, especially in the Republican Party, and we're talking electeds and candidates have just jumped on the bandwagon of the FBI is bad. This could happen to anyone if it could happen to him. And that's what scares me a little bit, because it feels like January 6th a little bit all over again. And I believe that part of our justice system and our the institution of law is that, yes, it can happen to anyone if you are potentially doing something wrong then I believe somebody's going to come to your home and look for wrongdoing. Um, In terms of the talking points, I also expected that just from being in Trump world and living it, as you said earlier, um, and actually participating in a lot of that. I see that they're starting now with the newest uh, talking point of potentially the FBI planting evidence there. I actually wondered yesterday if that's what they were going to do. And I thought, Stephanie, you're being so paranoid, stop. So um, that's been disheartening to see, but also very, very expected. I do want to say from a PR perspective, and and it is hard because this is a legal issue. This is a legal issue. But as you said, they're fundraising off of it and they're all saying the same talking points. I do hope that when, you know, this information comes out, it will be translatable to the American people in meaning if this national security information comes out, if it's something about our sources and methods, meaning it could put American lives at risk, I hope that the DOJ and anybody else involved will be smart about making it translatable to the American people so they really understand uh, what a detriment to our country it could be. This can't be just it was a memento or a letter. If that's the case, they've handed this president um, another term, I believe. Peter, I do want to ask you this because there is always going to be a lot of talk about this. The FBI has been under scrutiny, you yourself under scrutiny. There are people on the left and the right. There are people across the board who have a trust issue, a trust deficit with the FBI. Should the FBI have handled this somewhat differently or at least come out and done some kind of press conference to give people an idea of what it is they got or are looking for? Uh, not at this point. I don't think so. I mean, look, th- I think there absolutely is a trust issue between the American people and not just the FBI, but across the government. And I think that's a direct result of four years of Trump attacking the mechanisms of the professionalism of the U.S. government whenever it didn't suit his goals. So I do think that's there. I think the way that you respond to that is exactly what Attorney General Garland and the FBI are doing. They're going out. They're doing a professional job. I do think there is a role at some point for either the FBI or the Department of Justice to make some sort of statement about what they found. Because again, I they know full well the impact of what they're doing when they execute a search warrant at the residence of a former president. I have to hope and I do believe it isn't just for the soccer ball that Putin gave to Trump in Helsinki or some gift from the Saudi government. I do believe that there's highly classified information there that they recovered. And I think that there's a way for DOJ or FBI to give some indication of what was seized without touching on whether or not somebody's culpable about it, without talking about the progress of a criminal investigation, but essentially to dampen these this mistrust, to take away, frankly, this, you know, this gift of fundraising that's been given to Trump, but that does serve to sort of reassure people that this was a legitimate action 
It is an action that every American taxpayer would want the FBI and DOJ to do, regardless of the party, regardless of the position of the person. Like Stephanie said, this is an indication that nobody is above the law. And I do take heart in that this demonstrates that. So I think I do think we'll see some sort of information. It may take a little bit of time, months perhaps, but I think we'll see some information ultimately about what was seized. As Stephanie said, the longer it takes, the more there is going to be talking points out there. Uh, so I think there's a lot of people that are wondering why we're not hearing something sooner. Peter Strzok and Stephanie Grisham, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. GOP Senator Lindsey Graham says he spoke to Trump twice today and the likelihood of Donald Trump running for president again may have just increased. The one thing I can tell you is that I believed he was going to run before. I'm stronger in my belief now. Is that going to help or hurt Republicans if Donald Trump did announce another bid for the White House? We'll dig in more on the political fallout coming up next. Question on a lot of people's mind. Is Donald Trump more likely to run for president after all this? He's privately telling Republicans he has made up his mind on 2024. Let us get some perspective because we need it from John Avalon, Mark Sanford, the former governor of South Carolina, and our SE Cup. All right, SE. Is the GOP concerned after you're seeing potentially classified information that mm-hmm. may have been taken out of the president's home that was supposed to be handed over? Potentially crimes. Potentially uh-huh. crimes. Yep. Why is the party that often says they're the party of law and order not concerned with this? Well, I think, um, listen, I think on the one hand, the GOP and Trump love this because in their sort of um, corrupted minds, this vindicates a lot of what he had been saying about the deep state that hasn't charged him with anything yet. The deep state, um, like the FBI director, he appointed the deep state, a conspiracy theory he probably invented for moments like this, right, Mm. to prepare his fans to distrust moments like this. Um, But on the other hand, this is bad. This is bad for for Trump. This is bad for Republicans. And I, I don't understand this argument that maybe the FBI just handed Trump the nomination or another term. I don't get that. If this animates you in Trump's favor, you were already a Trump voter, Mm. a reliable Mm. one. You weren't more, you know, animated for Trump now than you were five minutes ago. So I I don't I don't get it. I think it's bad for Trump. I think it's bad for Republicans, even though they're happy to focus on it and gin up their base. All right. Uh, John, you know, the Dems are being criticized as well for hypocrisy. Right. And and. They use this whole thing about how they defended Hillary Clinton when it came to her emails. And I, and I want to quickly just go to, we have sort of a, a little mashup of okay. some of the things that have been said about Hillary and her emails, which is being brought up by Republicans. As you know, the FBI has reopened its criminal investigation into Hillary Clinton. Folks, she shouldn't be allowed to run. Hillary Clinton is disqualified from being the president of the United States. (laughs) 
because she stored classified and sensitive information on her email server because she thinks she's above the law. I want somebody outside the Clinton network looking through these emails. All right. Those Republicans. Yep. Democrats stood by her Mm -hmm. for the most part. So what do you make of what you just heard there from Republicans who were saying, hey, what about Hillary? Now, this is 2016. Yeah. Right. But it's being brought up again. Like they're going after this former president. Why didn't they, you know, raid her place? Why didn't they look for those emails? Why didn't they raid uh, anything that, in, in her home. Well, I mean, th- first of all, there was an investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails. She was ultimately exonerated. I mean, the State Department did its own investigation. Um, this was the genesis of the lock her up appeals, right. um, which, remember, it, is something very much outside the realm of typical American campaign politics at the time, right? We're going to arrest our political opponents. Now, that is very different than the rule of law uh, about if somebody breaks the law, and, 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 you know, part of, I think, what's got people's heads spinning is this seems a little bit like Al Capone and tax evasion, right? I mean, you know, mm. breaking the Presidential mm. Records Act doesn't seem to most folks like something that you have the FBI uh, come into your private residence of an ex-president, even though it is illegal. The obvious point here is situational ethics. And unfortunately, we're living in a time when that's table stakes in politics. I mean, we're living in a time when an election lie is a litmus test for, for many, uh, many Republican primaries. So I'm not surprised to hear that, that epic contortion. Because it's all through the prism of part, part, partisan politics. Everything, everything you just said Except? is right. No, is right. I think what's gross, though, sure. is when Hillary, who mishandled classified Absolutely. information, yeah. goes out and tries to fundraise off it Absolutely. with snarky T-shirts mm-hmm. and hats. This is serious S-H-I-T, okay? This is serious The children can stuff. hear you spell. Yes. <laughs> it's um, serious I, sugar, no, honey, iced tea. Yes. Well, I mean, look, I have zero stomach for hypocrisy. And I call out Republicans. I yep. I call out Democrats. I hate it. And I don't think this is anything to laugh about or fundraise off of on either side. This is serious. Our democracy is at stake here. I, I think you make a really important point, especially with the parallelism of the fundraising. You know, Trump's fundraising off this. Hillary Clinton tried to do Gross. something cute. Um this is too serious. We, we need to start applying consistent principles and standards in our politics, and that's what we've got nice. too little. Good, good luck with that. All right, yeah. I want to ask you about the midterms. <laughs> uh, no, because there's a lot of money I, I, to be I made. I go with the common good luck with that. But yeah, anyway, we'll come back I mean, it, it, the truth is, is that I went online just to see what was going on, and I you could buy a myriad of things from, from both parties, but especially the Republican Party and people who are on the right were selling things left, right, and center, th- saying things like, this is war. I mean... Mm. this is violent rhetoric that mm. is being sold to make a lot of money, and a lot of money will be made. Can I ask you what you think this is going to mean as we head into the midterms? I mean, I think it's a wash on tonight's elections. When you're this close out right. from an election cycle, I, I, I don't mm-hmm. think the last couple of hours of anything matters that much. But what I would say is it continues to harden the political lines that already have a, a no-man's land in between them. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem with American politics these days, which is, to your point, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a solid Trump voter, none of this changes anything for you as a solid Trump voter. And likewise, if you're a solid Trump hater, nothing changes. And so mm-hmm. you've got these hardened lines, and the question is, where do we go as a, as a republic next? I mean, I, I think you're pegging the point, mm-hmm. because at some point, there's a straw that breaks the candle's back. So I, I think in the short run, it pro- probably accrues to Trump's benefits what's going on and the Trump wing of the Republican Party. Over the long run, there is a straw that's going to break what at some it? point. Because yeah, it wasn't what? an yeah. insurrection. Is, yeah. it, is it the second insurrection? That I mean, is the I, question. I don't know, is but I know there's a straw. A straw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, is there, yeah. I think the question that needs to be asked at this point is, is there something 
that would break the camel's back, so to speak, when it comes to his supporters. We just heard people screaming, I love you, mm-hmm. over and over and over again to the president mm-hmm. as we are facing this, ostensibly, this very unusual time in history. But, that- but I think what has to be remembered is he's going to pitch it as, I mean, I don't know what's in the boxes. Right. None of us mm-hmm. do. Yeah. But he's going to pitch it as, yeah, there were some posty notes that had some scribble on them, and that's what all this is about. So you're going to get that version. And then on the opposite camp, you're going to get a very different version. Again, nobody's listening to sort of reason. So we'll, we'll, we'll play this out, see how it, uh, but, it unfolds. But, but let's get yeah, the information yeah. out. Right. Yeah. Right. right. I mean, right, you know, right, Trump yeah. could release, you know, s- some information. You know, I think it's incumbent upon the, the DOJ or the FBI to put some information out there. Let, let's have a degree of transparency consistent with the, you know, with, with impartial justice. Yeah. Um, that's what we're missing right now. We need more sober voices, less people playing to the, you know, rushing to the ramparts to try to politicize this because this is something that's beyond politics. This should be equal just under law. That's yeah, the test. That's we're, the we're test. Asking. And there is a vacuum right now. All right. Stick around with us. We've got new reporting. Congressman Jim Banks, who is with a dozen other GOP lawmakers at Bedminster, says... The group encouraged Trump to run sooner than later. He also described Trump as upbeat and not phased at all by the FBI search. We'll talk about all that with our great panel coming up next. Right-wing social media users are seizing on the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago, and the rhetoric is alarming. Lock and load, said one user on a forum dedicated to the former president, while another post explicitly called for Attorney General Merrick Garland to be assassinated. But it's not just the unknown fringe promoting civil war and incitement to violence and anti-government fervor. Right-wing podcaster Stephen Crowder told nearly two million followers, today is war. It's just one of dozens of tweets from influential figures, some elected Republicans like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who tweeted, defund the FBI, and Ron DeSantis, who says, we're in a banana republic. John Avalon is having a hard time keeping his face straight. Mark Sanford is also here with us, and Essie Cup also back with me. John? Yes. I know you're laughing because... Uh, only the irony of defund, defund the FBI. The FBI. For, that's all. Right. So th- these are the same people, we should mention why you're laughing, that we're going after Democrats for saying, you know, for being D- accused of saying right. defund the there, police. There are, although, by my count, seven House Democrats yeah. who support defund the police right. and 147 and the who Republicans right. support Democrats. Now, because the favor is turned on their person... Of course, then, you know, hey, defund law enforcement all day long if it's not consistent with your political agenda. But is there a real concern that we should be worried about? Having seen what happened Mm -hmm. in the lead-up to January 6th... Yes. Yes. Should we be concerned? Of course we should. Look, I don't... You you want to make sure that tail didn't wag the dog in terms of folks on, you know, the Donald, you know, (laughs) posting crazy stuff. The real issue is elected representatives. Yeah. You know... Uh, you know, you might recall when when Bush 41, George H. W. Bush resigned his membership in the NRA when they called the FBI jackbooted thugs mm. in an advertisement. Yeah. We are a million miles away from that, and 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 I don't expect you know the the right the right wing hyperpartisan media ecosystem is unfortunately going to be fanning the flames. But I do hold elected senators and governors and members of Congress they should be held to a higher standard than than fanning the flames of of violence. In, in pursuit of, of partisan gain, which is which is what many of them are doing. That's a different standard, and they should be held to a higher standard. I think that there are sort of three slices at the apple. Mm-hmm. I, I think you've got the political prov- provocateurs mm-hmm. that you're alluding to, and they're going to say whatever they're going to yeah. say. 
You have elected officials who these days are just frankly in survival mode. So, you know, at the time that, you know, a couple of us spoke out earlier against Trump, you know, me and Amash in the House and Corker and Flake in the Senate, it was political extinction. That's no longer the case, but people keep trying to keep their head down. But the real folks out there, I was dealing today with a guy that his alternator had gone bad and that was his world and that's what he was focused yep. on. And I think there are a lot of folks for whom this is just noise, period. And so is there frightening rhetoric? Yes. But I don't think we should get all that ginned up about the different camps that are throwing a lot of it out. Well, it's that second slice of the apple you talk about, Mm. folks who don't say anything, who are silent. Because we got here because four, five, six years of no one in leadership or cable news or anyone with influence over the president or um, MAGA did anything to tamp the rhetoric down. Mm -hmm. Did anything to ring the alarm and say, this is bad? And it should stop. Trump loved the violent rhetoric. He leaned into it. He promised lawyers if you ever got in trouble for going after, you know, his opponents. And he watched with joy as people armed marched to the Capitol. He said Mike Pence probably deserved it when they chanted, hang Mike Pence. He's here for it. And no one checked him on it. So I'm not surprised we're here. I'm not surprised we'll be here for probably another insurrection. He loved the first one. Um, and and without anyone saying enough in a position of power, enough, it's just going to get worse. But, but what's I, happened, I think what's happened to yeah. the, the, the GOP? In your mind, when you are looking at it hmm. from 35,000 feet, what has happened to this party? Uh, it's gotten hijacked. I mean, what you have are a lot of people for whom government wasn't working, and they've been beaten down by life and by a variety of different factors. And there's always a strongman that comes along in the history of man who offers a, 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 a immediate cure. And he was that guy. Um, the question now is, what do we do about it? And so I, I think this underscores, though, how political this moment is. This is not a legal proceeding. I think the Justice Department, in some form or fashion, given the amount of distress that's out there, needs to say something mm-hmm. so that the void is not simply filled by Trump and others. And right well, now it's being filled with that. So what do they do, John? Because right now, none of us know exactly what are in those documents, and they're going to be reticent, right, to go there right away. So, so now what? It's been a day. I mean, it's been a day. It's been a day. The problem is, is, I mean, the, the social media speed to politics is on a totally different timeline than the pace of justice. Yeah. Right. And, and so that gap can be exploited. What I think is more significant is, you know, you see members of the Republican Study Committee apparently circling around Trump tonight, right. basking in the attention of this and, and encouraging and him to run. Right. And, yeah. Well, this right. is, this is the, 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 the victim, victimhood, the, the victimhood yes. that is, is sort of part and parcel of, of, of Trump's. You know, he, he's alternately the aggressor and the victim. This is aggressive defensiveness. This is an idea that goes back, you know, to, to some of the, the bad old days, you know, a century and a half ago. So here, here's the real question. Will Republicans who know uh, that Donald Trump running would be terrible for their party in the midterms, mm-hmm. uh, will they stand up? Will the people thinking about running for president stand up and say, you know what? I got questions and doubts and concerns about this raid, but no, I am not all in on Trump 2024 because the goal is to freeze the field. And, mm-hmm. and, and the question now will be, Post the first insurrection, mm-hmm. will there be Republicans in positions of influence who have the spine to stand up and speak clearly and say, no, mm-hmm. we're not doing the sequel? So mm-hmm. far, we have not nope. seen Correct. that. Not yet. Nope. Okay. There's a note. Thank you, <laughs> John Avalon, Mark Sanford, and S.E. Cup. Thank you so much for going through all of that. Coming up, we're going to change topics 
And it is something that has been a long time coming, but it is uh, amazing. She doesn't like the word retirement, but Serena Williams tells the world she is nearing the end of her career in the sport that she has helped redefine. Another tennis great, Pam Shriver, joins me to look at her incredible legacy. That's next. She didn't just change the game of tennis. She changed the world of sport. The GOAT, greatest of all time, Serena Williams, is hanging up her racket soon. She told Vogue magazine in an article out today, quote, I'm here to tell you that I'm evolving away from tennis toward other things that are important to me. A few years ago, I quietly started Serena Ventures, a venture capital firm. Soon after that, I started a family. I want to grow that family. Here to discuss her impact on and off the court, ESPN tennis analyst Pam Shriver. Pam, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Pam, let's talk about what she has said. I I gasped when I saw this um, because she has made such a huge mark, not just in sport, but for women and particularly women of color uh, in business as well um, and on social issues. Can you give me a sense of how big this is and why you think, judging from her statement, she has decided to start walking away from tennis? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons why. Obviously, her age, she'll be 41 next month. Uh, She hasn't won a major since 2017. She obviously had maternity leave. She's made an amazing effort to try and tie Margaret Court at 24. She's gotten to four major finals after having Olympia, her first child. And I think she realizes that if she wants to have expand her family, the time is really now and it's really hard to do both. I know that frustrates her. She spoke about it so eloquently in her essay that it's not fair on one hand for the female athletes who really need to uh, call it quits when you're at this age, whereas the men like Tom Brady or Roger Federer, they can continue to play. But there's some things we can control and there's other things we can't. But what she could control on the tennis court starting in 1999 when she won her first of 23 majors at 17, winning the Serena Slam twice, that's holding all four major titles at the same time twice, the rivalry she had with her sister, her four Olympic gold medals. I could go on and on. That is why, Sarah, as you referred to her, and I think all of us agree, the GOAT. You have had some experiences. Can you, can you give me a sense of, of who this woman is? Because we see her uh, on the court and we see her in, in sort, of the, the sort of public sphere. But who is she? Well, it's funny she uses the word evolve because I actually think that's really appropriate when you think about uh, Serena from when she won her first major at 17 through all of the ups and downs and being away from the sport at times because of injury or loss of interest at times. And I think she has a great curiosity to life, fiercely competitor, competitive, obviously an immense talent. So when you combine everything, you know, the desire, the mental strength, the willingness to be on the biggest of stages and to perform at the highest level like she's done for 25 years is truly remarkable. And to think that she started this venture capital fund that's going to help female companies especially get started, her impact really in life, as she says, is just starting. And you don't need to say goodbye to tennis. It is a lifetime sport. She's going to be playing with her family for a long, long time. 
She can play as, as long as she wants, really, but just maybe not in this kind of intense arena. I do want to quickly mention that she was very open with the fact that she had uh, some serious complications when she had her first child. And she brought that to the fore, uh, talking about black women in particular and maternal health. And so she's done a lot of other things than just play a sport, which is incredible what she's done in that sphere as well. Absolutely. Uh, Advocating for women in the workplace, uh, no matter your color, but especially, as you mentioned, Sarah, an advocate for black women and black working women uh, to have better access to whether it's child care, whether it's to be able to have the fair play in the workplace despite having kids. So to me, she's she's done it all. She'll continue to do it all, just not at the WTA tour or at the major tennis level. But let's all look forward to the U.S. Open because raise the roof at Arthur Ashe Stadium where her sister <laughs> Venus be, got to the... Yeah, we will we be will ready, raise Pam the roof. Shriver. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for sticking with me. I will be back tomorrow night. Laura Coates is sitting in for Don Lemon tonight. And that show begins right now. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call me country. Beyonce and Nashville's renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.